0: This is AgriPulse Open Bike. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Tom Stencil, President and CEO of United Fresh Produce Association. AgriPulse Open Bike is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance, supporting America's sugar producers and saluting all of agriculture for continuing to feed America. Specialty crop producers have faced a tremendous challenge in adapting to the COVID-19 pandemic president and ceo of the united fresh produce association tom Stenzel, says their members are hopeful for a new relief package from washington
1: jeff there there are a couple things that are pending uh in the next covid relief package and and we certainly think that this is critical to agriculture in general it's critical to our sector and the fresh fruit and vegetable business Some of it is financial, but some of it is policy as well. We certainly want to see the continued basic support for agriculture that we saw in the initial funding. With some flexibility for USDA, the Farmers to Family Food Box program was not legislated per se, but there was enough money provided to USDA to support the growth of that. That's got to be renewed because that's been a a critical lifeline for for growers and distributors and and insecure Americans. So that's a a key part of it. But there are also a couple other things that have been introduced that we want to see included, one of which is liability protection. This is an an emerging issue. We're seeing it from the legal community of people questioning how companies have reacted to the, the pandemic. This has been a learning experience. If you think back to March and April when this first started, the CDC was saying don't wear masks. So now we don't want our members to be liable for not having told people to wear masks back when public health advice wasn't there. So there does need to be some type of liability protection. Senator Ernst has introduced the Front Act, which would provide tax relief for essential workers in the food and ag industry. So that's something we'd like to see. There's also uh, another piece of legislation called the PLUS Act, uh, which goes all the way back to when the food service sector shut down back in March. A number of our members got stuck holding the bag. With receivables, they'll never get paid, whether those restaurants are going out of business or they're just not going to be in a position to ever pay. So the PLUS Act would provide some tax relief where people could write off their uncollectible receivables, So there are a whole range of things that we're working on in the next package and really do encourage both sides to to get back to the bargaining table as soon as they can.
0: The CFAP program was expanded to include some additional crops and also to allow some extra time for sign-up. Last week, Congressman Panetta said that this is a new venture for specialty crop growers because you've not had programs to sign up for. Does there need to be additional outreach now to help your producers understand what's available and to give them time to sign up?
1: You know, the CFAP program really hasn't had as big an impact on our sector as we would like or or even the department. We're talking with folks at USDA now about how they could help us get more outreach to our community but there are a couple limitations with it as well i would mention uh, when they first came out and we're trying to create justification for which crops and what amounts and what types of losses there is very little data on historical patterns and pricing so that's why you've seen more crops being added as we go they're just finally learning you know how to deal with some of our crops uh, because we haven't had programs like this The other thing that's very limiting for us is the cap, the $100,000 cap per entity. That might be meaningful for a Midwestern corn or soybean farmer, but when you think about some of our high-value crops, strawberries, $30,000 an acre or more. So maybe three acres are covered by the maximum CFAP payment. So again, that's a limitation where it's not coming anywhere near helping people get back to reality of being whole yes every little benefit helps and we do need to become more familiar with it and fsa but it's still not a, a total recovery for our sector
0: have you had enough federal assistance to help your employers provide ppe testing and housing for their workers
1: well it actually hasn't been any direct support for that And that's another one of the things in the next COVID relief package. We've got companies that have had to separate and socially distance their workers. They've had to retrofit lines. They're spending, you know, huge amounts of money on PPE for their workers with no support coming back for that. And that's going to continue. Even as we move forward in the coming year, I think a lot of these practices are going to stay. So if we want to protect those essential food workers and we want to help the employers do it, I think that's going to be an important part of this. This isn't a legislative issue that I'll mention, but, but we've been trying to work with the administration to raise the profile even when a vaccine is available. Healthcare workers need to be first in line for that. But essential food workers need to be second, because if we can get a vaccine to those people who feed America, that's going to be higher priority than you or me.
0: Is the COVID pandemic costing your members more to put produce on the market?
1: Yeah, no question. Like I mentioned, companies are less efficient than they were. Harvesting has been spread out. Fewer workers on a harvest crew, more inbound cost for a grower, uh, distributor, I think that's one of the challenges that we're going to face, that you know we're basically price takers. Consumers don't like to pay a lot for food. We're a little spoiled in this country. But I do think that we're going to have to make sure that the growers and suppliers of not just fruits and vegetables, but all foods, uh, are going to have to find a way to recover some of those costs, whether it's through government support or through the marketplace.
0: Tom, you mentioned the Farm to Family Food Box program. Do you see it working better now than it did when it was first introduced? And do you think this is a program that's here to stay?
1: Well, we sure hope it is. Let me
0: put it that way. When it first came out, I think,
1: again, congrats to USDA for standing up that program so fast. But the quick turnaround didn't allow for maybe proper vetting of a few of the folks who got awarded contracts. And they, those all got the headlines, and we contributed to raising concerns. But they certainly have gotten much more buttoned up. Even back then, it was a small minority. I think there were 500 companies that got contracts and, you know, maybe 10 or 15 that, that probably shouldn't have. But that's been weeded out. This program is now the most effective thing I've seen for getting fresh produce and dairy and even the eggs and meat packages to people in need. The other thing I like a lot about it is it's such a a win-win-win. And and I'll tell you, the growers, it's U.S. growers who are able to supply product into the boxes. It's distributors who suffered so badly when the food service sector got shut down who are actually packing the boxes and delivering them to the consumers. And then it's those people who who don't have enough food or they're food insecure today. That's a win-win-win.
0: So you mentioned initially the shift from uh, the consumer going to restaurants to the grocery store left the the, the channels that they normally go through were stalled. so it took some time to make that shift. So when this is over, will you be able to shift back easier and and, and what do we learn through that process?
1: It was definitely a shock to the system. I don't think everybody quite realized what independent channels we had that served either the food service or the retail industry. You know a lot of a lot of product was designed for one or the other. You think about it um, in my sector, fruits and vegetables, if you're serving the restaurant community, you're probably packing in you know ten pound bags or twenty pound bags or fifty pound bags of onions or carrots or potatoes. Well you can't put a fifty pound bag on a retail shelf. So not only, did that food service sector shut down, we had to kind of retrofit our packing operations, packing into smaller consumer products, uh, that type of thing, consumer packaging. And that was a huge change. Uh, it took a while. Uh, I'd say at the same time, the, the rush to retail almost created pandemic buying for a while. It's nothing short of amazing that we were able to keep produce on the shelves other than the first two weeks, I think, we've been pretty darn successful at uh, keeping local grocery stores stocked well with fresh produce. What's going to happen? Uh, as restaurants are coming back, it's not going to be sudden. It's not going to be, a, you know, uh, all of a sudden it's back to where it was. We're even seeing today with restaurants serving takeout and, and some are doing outdoor dining. Uh, some are doing indoor with restricted capacity. Uh, that's starting to slowly come back. You look at what I think from a business standpoint, long-term trend, we're going to probably have more balanced supply chains. Companies are probably not going to bet all or nothing on one or the other. They're going to want to have some percentage of their business in restaurants, some percentage in retail, some percentage with the online providers, because that's been a big change in uh, the way the consumer has reacted. I mean, we're buying a lot more of all foods online these days, some of which goes through the grocery distribution channels, but some which is just coming direct.
0: So that leads me to the next question then. We've seen that remarkable shift to consumers shopping online for their food products, and some say that's a trend that is absolutely here to stay. So that means less time for the shopper in the produce section. What opportunity or what challenge does that present?
1: I'd say we're a little concerned about that. Produce is, is often an impulse item. Uh, you go into the grocery store, you've got your list, but you see this beautiful array of fresh produce and it. it looks beautiful and it smells good and you pick up an extra cantaloupe or you pick up, oh, look at those strawberries. Don't they look great? Even if they might not have been on your list. So what we've gotta to try to do is capture that experience online. Now, I don't think it's gonna be possible with the, the smell, uh, unfortunately, coming through my, my computer, but imagery is going to be very important. We've got to try to entice that consumer who is shopping online to still want to say, oh, let me get the peak of the season. You know, those berries look wonderful. Uh, that's going to be a change
0: for us. Tom, the Labor Department just reporting an increase in H-2A workers for the first three quarters here in 2020. Has that helped your labor situation?
1: Yeah, the administration has been very willing to work with the industry on uh, H-2A regulations, making sure that workers were able to still get into the country, even when some other tourists cannot, Uh, making sure that those workers who are already here have the ability to extend their time, because some of them can't even go back home to their source country due to the virus pandemic. So that's been helpful. Is it enough? No. No. We are the most labor-intensive part of agriculture, and it's absolutely critical that we get the workers that we need to harvest the crops here in America. And again, due to the pandemic, that's less efficient than it was. So, you know, you don't have the mass number of workers. You don't have the ability to house guest workers all in the same dormitory. You know, they always had minimum space, and and you wanted to provide a comfortable living environment, but you can't have six people sharing a common space they can't eat together there's so many challenges that we face right now in the labor front we're just going to have to continue to grow that guest worker program in order to harvest the crops in america
0: is the lack of a workforce changing the crops that are raised the volume of uh, crops that are produced what effect is it having on the structure of your industry
1: it's an interesting question, Jeff. I, I,
0: I think two things.
1: Uh, the first, it continues to accelerate research into mechanization, mechanical harvesting, wherever we can, in order to reduce labor. So that's number one. Number two, is fascinating. We hear regularly people moving from highly labor-intensive crop to a less labor-intensive crop. I mean, we've heard it in moving from uh, one growing region to another where labor is more plentiful. So it's having an increasing impact uh, on our industry.
0: So what's needed to make it work? It seems like any time we talk about the farm worker program that it falls into the immigration issue and that it just falls off a cliff and, and we don't make any progress. What changes would you suggest without fixing the sum that would allow growth or at least a stability in your industry? Yeah, we were
1: close this year before this pandemic hit. Uh, the House had passed uh, a bill that we felt very good about and we thought the prospects in the Senate were going to be good, but obviously everything just went on hold. I think one of the things that we need to be able to convince the American people, and I would say all surveys show that they believe it more than some groups, but having a legal guest worker program is a key to legal immigration if you don't want unauthorized uh immigrants uh crossing the border or coming into the country the way you prevent that is you set up a legal program that is screening and has protection and you're not bringing in you know bad actors you're you're only bringing in people who want to work support their families go back to their their home country, Uh, that's got to be the key. So it's not broadening immigration or relaxing uh, immigration rules. It's really a way to protect um, legal immigration in the country.
0: We celebrated the fact that there is now a new NAFTA in the form of the USMCA that uh, is in place but there are a number in the produce industry that are certainly concerned. Do you share their concerns about uh, particular areas that weren't addressed by this trade accord, especially with Mexico?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that I found in my job here at uh, United Fresh Produce years ago when I started is we're not really one monolithic industry. Um, We are a group of separate commodities, separate regions, you know what applies to California strawberry is different than what applies to Florida citrus, and therefore trade policy affects different commodities in different regions. You know in different ways. You heard it this week in USDA's online hearing uh, about trade policy. Some of the growers in the southeast in Florida and Georgia are very concerned about competition with Mexico. Yet our growers in the West all have deals growing in Mexico. So. We have to always, as a national organization, come back to overarching policy. Uh, we believe in free trade. We believe in fair trade. And you want policies that can be enforced. Uh, but we don't want protectionism. Uh, we don't want uh, to protect our growers in the United States any more than we want growers in Europe to protect their growers away from our exports. So, You've got to stand for certain principles, and and that's what we've tried to do while recognizing that the impact of trade uh, affects people differently.
0: You've made tremendous strides on food safety. Are you comfortable with the work that's been done, and and what's in the wings to further improve the work that you've done to make sure that your product is safe?
1: We can never be satisfied that enough has been done if anybody gets sick, so that's got to be our mantra. Um, I was on a phone call earlier today with uh, the head food safety uh, leader of one of our major companies, and we were talking about uh, everything that they're doing to try to uh, minimize risk, to understand risk. Um, you know, these, you know, whether it's salmonella or E. coli or whatever, you know, it it's out there, and we have to find a way to make sure it doesn't, you know, go from a uh, a cattle ranch into the water system down two miles away onto a produce field. That's a hard challenge, uh, but that's what we're working on. And um, you know, it's interesting too. The when there is an outbreak, uh, as I said, you know, we want to limit those to to not happen. But it's also still not a huge widespread issue. And, and that's a hard thing to communicate um, if it's you who are sick or your child who is sick. There's, there's no consolation in the fact that, you know, it's a lightning strike as opposed to uh, something that's widespread. But we consume billions, billions of servings of fruits and vegetables every day in the United States. So when there's an outbreak, um, it's still an isolated uh, fairly rare occurrence.
0: How big is the water issue and the lack of water to your growers? Yeah,
1: it's growing. Uh, certainly, in some regions uh, of the country, uh, some of the areas in California, they're down again. You know, you live for the snowpack and hope that you're going to replenish the reservoirs. Uh, what's happening out there right now with these wildfires is just devastating. Um, that was actually one of the reasons I was talking to a friend in Salinas this morning. you just, what's the impact of these fires on this major production region? It's not burning the crops, but uh, weather, uh, the climate, um, the ash that's in the air. So it, it's having an impact. Um, yeah. Hopefully we'll get through this momentary, this moment, and then um, we have a huge snowpack this
0: winter. Tom, what challenges do you find from consumer pushback and government efforts that might reduce crop protection products that your growers can use?
1: There's a lack of understanding as to why growers use product. Um, That's been a frustration for years and years. Uh, I understand it from my family standpoint. I, I don't want somebody who just throws chemicals or pesticides on my food, but they don't. You know, our growers, you know, it's counterintuitive. The last thing they want to do is spend more money on on chemical inputs or, or crop protection than they have to. Uh it's only the way that you can keep, you know, the food supply moving. Uh there's no way in the world and that goes for organic production too. We we're big supporters of organic production, but they've got to have crop protection tools. And that's all very important. We want strong regulatory systems, we want strong science based systems. But uh, we can't you know, regulate ourselves you know, back into crops that lose 50% of, of what's been planted due to pests. You know, talk about food waste, that would be one of the worst things we could do.
0: You've got a big conference coming up in September. Will it be virtual or in person?
1: We're going virtual this time. I had really hoped that we might be able to get people back to Washington, D.C. This is our annual Washington conference. Usually about 500 people descend from our produce industry. We march on Capitol Hill. It's going to be a virtual march. Uh, we've invited Secretary Purdue to join us. Uh, a number of members of Congress will be speaking at our sessions, uh, all online. And then we have a whole series of congressional visits set up. So it's a fly-in without the airplane.
0: Tom Stenzel, we want to thank you for taking time to talk with us. We appreciate the work that you uh, have performed for agriculture and the United Fresh Produce Association. It is open mic, and you have the last word today, sir.
1: Well, Jeff, thanks so much for having me. Uh, fruits and vegetables, you know, are just, you know, it's a lifeline for the American consumer and consumers around the world. I thought through this pandemic, uh, there's nothing more enjoyable than walking into the local grocery store and seeing that wide array of beautiful, beautiful fresh produce. So you know, we think we're part of the the emotional well-being uh, of society as well as their health.
0: Our thanks to Tom Stensel, president and CEO of United Fresh Produce Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. An appreciation of the essential work performed every single day by farmers, ranchers, and everyone across the agriculture supply chain. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.